you remember the first story that was so spellbinding that it drove you to break the rules and stay up all night? To keep reading, keep listening, keep playing? So good you forgot your life and lived there? So good that the moment it ended, you asked yourself, what next? Welcome to the floor. Our goal is to take you back, take you deeper, to explore and understand more, and relive that childlike wonder. Join us as we dive deep into humanity's greatest stories, no matter how they are told, through books, movies, television, even games. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. Enjoy another world another adventure, another spellbinding story. Join us on the floor. Welcome to the floor. We are beginning our journey into season three of The Witcher. This is maybe not highly anticipated, but the highly debated season of The Witcher. Uh, this is Henry Cavell's last season, and we're going to dive into the lore points here. And uh, yeah, so we, you can just go deeper if you want to. The beginning of this episode is uh, with Geralt and Cirilla and Yennefer. They're on the run from the various people hunting Cirilla. Um, if we jump back to the end of season two, if you'll remember, there's a council of the heads of the Brotherhood, uh, Tessaia and Vilgefortz, and several of the kings and queens of the Northern Kingdoms. As a group, they decide that Cirilla is more trouble than there's worth and they should just get rid of her. Individually, they've all kind of got their own plans. That they want, but they do decide that as a group. So there are several organizations looking for Cirilla. So we do have Reince, the Fire Mage, and Lydia, who we talked about how you know with her face burned off and stuff. You finally see that at the end of season two. <laughs> we have King Vesemir uh, of Verdania, who has got his own plans. He's at all the meetings with the Brotherhood and everybody, and says he's going along with things, but he's definitely got his own plans which we've seen with his spy master Dijkstra and the uh, sorceress Philippa Alhart. I think we've only seen her in Al, Al form in season two. Uh, she, she appears at like the very end. At the very end, okay. Mm -hmm. To talk to the uh, the other guy. So that's another group looking for Cirilla. Uh, Nilfgaard, of course, has been looking for her for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so... They're on the run from all of this. They move from house to house. People find them. Geralt kills them. They move on. It seems seems like you wouldn't need to, though. It's like, they found us. We killed them all. We could just stay here. But they... <laughs> and the elves want them now, right? You want her now. So the elves now know about her. They're also hunting her. A lot of people trying to get their hands on Cirilla. Yeah, but... Guess who's on Cirilla's team? Geralt. <laughs> Geralt and Yen. She does, and she's kind of uncontrolled with Geralt right now. Those two are so silly. And Yen has her magic back. Yes, so uh, as they as they move from place to place, we kind of see them becoming a family, right? Uh, she uh, Cirilla goes hunting with Geralt, and she loves it, has fun, and then she spends stays at school with Yennefer, trying to learn to use magic, and it's frustrating. Just fun with Geralt, does not have fun with Yen. Yeah, it sounds... At one point, things have been going really well for some time, and then they are invited to attend the Bellatin Festival. 
This is a festival within the Witcher world. To just a little point here, they've been training for like six months of like antisocialness. So Siri's like, dude, we gotta go. Well, she's also a princess. She grew up in a palace with lots of parties. Like that, that was her world. Yeah. So dude, we gotta go is probably what a princess would be taught to say. So she convinces them to go. So Bellatane, it's a festival within the Witcher. It's a May Day celebration and it's based on the Celtic festival of Beltane. Now they sound almost the same and you almost have to see them written out to see that there is a difference there. But it is essentially the same <laughs> festival. It begins on April 30th in the evening and it goes into May 1st. It's a spring festival. Uh, it's about the celebration of fertility. And so a lot of times there will be marriages that they get married that evening on <laughs> May 1st and then they celebrate and procreate into May um, April 30th into May 1st as part of that celebration. So it's a very common thing to do. And now in the books, it is mentioned that Yennefer is born on Bellatane. So they do mention that in this episode as well, that that is when she's born. And uh, Geralt, he doesn't know when Cyrilla's birthday is, but he does like make a guess based on how old she is and when Pavetta found out she was pregnant. He's got a good guess. And he figured it is around this time. I hear it's horrible to have a birthday on a holiday. Yeah, I had a friend whose birthday was on Christmas. He's like, I never get birthday gifts. <laughs> He's like, people just call it both. He says, but it's not both. It's just one. It's a little bit less of each on the same day. Um, while they're at the festival, a jackapace attacks. So this is a creature created by Netflix. Um, so we can only kind of speculate on it. Um, one possibility is that this is a creature from the sphere of the elves because it can smell elven blood, so it's just something that has always kind of hunted and preyed on elves. But I think it's far more likely that this is a creature from the College of Risberg. So do you remember way back we talked about how there is this College of Mages where they create all kinds of stuff, including new monsters, right? Within the books, we see that they put these little plates on their experimental creatures as they keep them in their cages. And there are several times where Geralt fights a monster, kills it, and then finds a little plate on it. It was from the College of Risberg, and it just got out. Like, like they screw in a metal plate or something? Yeah, because that's it. Like, it's they 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 want the the number on it so they can look up in the logbook. How did we create this? What is it supposed to do? What's it actually doing? Right? And what's it actually doing? And I I guess on some of these branding doesn't work so just heal over or something like you have to install a plate plus just like depending on like if you brand an animal in the witcher universe it could get attacked by all sorts of things that could leave something that looks like a brand on it like metal plates gonna look like a metal plate that's true <laughs> so and somebody could mess with your brand if you've got numbers and stuff on it and somebody decides to like start you know messing with you they could get in there where's the metal plate it'll be pretty clear you scratch something off you know yeah, it's like a serial number on a gun. Well, but they could just install a new plate, you know. Oh, it depends on where it is. Yeah. Wait, so back up real quick. So are they normally successful in the whole, this is what it's supposed to do, this is what it's actually doing kind of thing? Or is that like a 50-50? So uh, Australia is a good example, right? Like... Uh, Australia, um, they introduced rabbits into Australia as a food yeah, like source. six of them? 
and in the late 1800s or the very and early they 1900s went rampant they were just overrunning everything and like technically yeah, within 50 years they had over a million so like they they there are fences all across the entire continent of australia intended to just keep rabbits out of certain areas because there's so much trouble and a lot of times that's how the creatures of college the college of Risberg go right like i think we talked about like at one point, uh, they created a creature to hunt rats, and they released it into the sewer. And then it, the creature was eating, feeding on the rats. And then it got big enough. At one point, it it decided, you know, it's easier to eat than rats, baby humans. Orphans. Yeah. <laughs> so started doing that. So that started doing that. That's a lot of times how things go with the co- creatures of the college Risberg. So if you were to do that, do you still get a passing grade at that college? Like <laughs> uh, your your final project is making a rat eater, and then it starts eating babies. By the time uh, it starts eating humans, you've already graduated. You know this. You've already graduated with val valedictorian. This kid's amazing. So yeah, so that's how things go with the College of Risberg fairly often. Yeah. So like I said, Netflix created this creature. We don't know anything about it, but my best guess is this is a College of Risberg creature created during the Elven war- the wars with the elves to hunt down elves. Right? That's why it mm-hmm. can smell and hunt elven blood. So the guy who owns it, the name is Velthook. There is nothing outside of Netflix on him. Um, the only reference I could find uh, for Velthook in the Witcher universe actually came from a Polish site where I couldn't I couldn't read what it was about. And my, and my best guess is that the Polish TV show that did The Witcher had used this name as well for somebody, and that's where it comes from. And it's like, so couldn't find anything beyond it. So then we'll jump to... Wait, there's a Polish TV show, Witcher? Yeah, uh, they created that maybe 10 years ago they made that. Oh. So Witcher's huge, dude. Witcher's huge. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just think, think no about idea. it. The Witcher is a global uh, fandom. Right between uh, the games and the Netflix series and everything, and it and came books, from yeah. Poland. So as big as it is everywhere else in the world, it is ten times that in Poland. That is their uh, author. <laughs> that is their mythology. This is their claim to fame. Yeah. So like everywhere else, it's a rat eater, but in Poland, it's a child. So eater. yeah. So yeah, they made a, a TV show the Witcher a long time ago in Poland. Um, okay. So okay. We'll jump to Radania. So King Vesemir, um, his plan in hunting down Cyrilla is that he wants to marry her. And by marry her, he gains the rights to Sentra as well as Radania, essentially doubling his kingdom, right? That's his plan. Now, they're having trouble finding her. He's got Dijkstra and he's got Philippa Eilhart helping him, well, not helping him, doing the hunting for him. He's frustrated. They're not getting results. And so he decides to have his brother, Radovid, join them. And when we first meet him, he seems kind of like an idiot, right? But by the end of the episode, it's pretty clear he's he's very clever. Um, so there's a quote he has that I think is really good insight into his character. And it, it goes like this. They say it's the game of kings. That chess teaches one to think strategically. What a load of rubbish. Both sides have identical pieces, and the rules stay invariably the same. How does that mirror real life? 
<laughs> you okay. Know? He's, yeah. he's like, this doesn't teach you how to play the game. He says, you weigh things in your advantage as much as possible, and you ignore the rules and hope other people will follow them. Yeah. Right? Like this, that's how this guy thinks about the world. <laughs> and we, and you see that he is brilliant in the way he manipulates Yaskir, and you know the way he tries to get the things he wants. So Netflix has done some changes here. In the books, in the games, Radovid is Vizimir's son, whereas here he's his brother. Mm. Um, and so that that's going to change a few pieces in the backstory. Um, but uh, so I'll just tell you the backstory we do have because Netflix doesn't release backstories, right? Right. So he has two older sisters who both studied at Eratusa, and then they would bully him, and they would use magic to do that. So he hates mages. Oh. Um, and we can kind of get that feel from him here. He definitely does not like working with Philippa Eilhart, and uh, he aggravates her intentionally on more than one occasion. Just because she's a mage. Just because she's a mage, yeah. Uh, so when he's he was magist. younger... He's magist. <laughs> it's, there you go. So when he was younger, he was uh, betrothed to Cirilla of Sintra, but the deal fell apart before the two ever met. Um, so he's actually never met her in person, but at one point they, they were going to be married as a way to expand the kingdom of Redania. Um, and that might kind of be where Netflix got the storyline to have Vesemir try and you know drag her back to Redania and marry her. And then uh, there's a bunch more, but anything more than that will be spoilers as but we, although we don't know if those would be spoilers because Netflix does their own thing. And we'll take a break here. Okay, so we have been mentioning at the end of our episodes recently about the treasure room, how, as Aaron likes to describe it, and before we go deep into things, but in the treasure room, we kind of go wide. And... We wanted to give people who have never been in the treasure room uh, a little bit of a sample. So going forward, we'll probably be uh, putting in little bits and pieces here. So here is a small clip uh, from the treasure room. We hope you enjoy it and are interested in uh, learning more in there. And because Geralt brings it up so much, it becomes a big theme within Netflix. And so I think they have either changed and or left this piece of the lore out. Because within the Witcher books, we talked about like this children reproduction is a huge thing. After well, I should say after World War One and World War Two, there was a huge shortage of children across Europe because so many men had died in the war. And so women, some of them didn't want to have children out of wedlocks. Um, some of them simply couldn't find a man to be with. And so there was a shortage of children that way. And you had this in both wars. And then you moved into this time period after World War II where the economy of Europe was just broken. And no one was having children because everyone was just barely able to survive day to day. Yeah. Right? And uh, so Poland, along with everywhere else, would have gone through this same time period where having children was insanely important and talked about all the time by these countries because they're like we we lost a lot of people in the war especially the european countries lost a lot of civilians so it wasn't just all bunches of men in the war they lost a lot of women and children right so mm -hmm. they were just short on people period and 
So they were like, if we don't do something, we're dying out as a people, as a nation, as a culture, everything. Mm-hmm. And so we see, I, we see this come up in Sapovsky's writing about his Witcher world, right? The elves are dying out. Welcome back. We are talking about the first episode of season three of The Witcher. This is the final season with Henry Cavell. We have been discussing just re-looping back in from what happened in season two. Uh, we've just been touching on some main points of season three. Uh, Geralt has been uh, Geralt and Yennefer have been training Cirilla. Uh, they finally go to the May Day festival. They get attacked by a giant armadillo. Uh, Joe, uh, is that what you'd call it, or would you give it a different name? Uh, they, they called it a jackapace. Yeah, giant armadillo. Yeah, giant armadillo. And this is the thing that can smell elf blood? Yeah, it can smell elven blood. Okay. And so now they've got to find a way to not only not get Cirilla eaten by this thing, and captured, but also find out who's chasing them down and stop them. So they come up with a ploy. And that's kind of where we left off. Yes. So we will meet a new uh, character, uh, Gallatin. Um, I don't think they ever mention his name in the episode. So this is the elf played by Robbie Amell. Um, he's, he seems to be kind of the leader of the, the Squatel or the Squirrels, right? He's leading hey. his little ambush on various caravans. He's fighting for Nilfgaard because, as he says, if Nilfgaard wins, all elves are free everywhere. And Francesca's view on this is very different. Be like, human kingdoms come and go. You're a very young elf, right? Uh, you know, doesn't matter if you win and, Nilf- and all elves are free under Nilfgaard. That may be only 40 years of an R1000, <laughs> right? It's not reliable and so Francesca never reveals her plan to him but he does know she's after this girl and uh, you know that's Francesca's bigger plan that she is the great weapon forged by our ancestors and will wipe out the humans that's her plan okay Um, so anyway he's frustrated with her for not getting the support he needs as far as troops as far as weaponry just, you know, he's very angry at her for not helping him in what he's focused on. Right. Uh, and so she just, she tricks him. She decides, you know, hey, I'll tell you I'm going to help you, and instead you're going to help me. Right? So Wait, she, a woman tricked a guy? <laughs> people <laughs> trick people. I don't think there's anything I was just saying, that's about... what happened here. Women are more clever than guys. I, just, I don't know if you knew this or not, because they always trick you, but... Uh, yeah, so Cirilla, Yennefer, uh, and Geralt, and uh, with the help of the Askir, they set up a trap. They're trying to get all these people hunting Cirilla to come so that they can take him out and end this. And they choose a place called Sherawed. Um And so this was once an elven palace. The elves have destroyed it, so it's just in ruins. And they did this to prevent the help the humans from using it as they retreated. And we've seen this with a multitude. Like, if you, like, there's several places in The Witcher we've seen before that are ancient ruins of an elven palace or fortress that are destroyed. And so it was very much a plan of the elves as they retreated where they would destroy these places 
so that the humans couldn't use them. Kind of like burning a bridge after you cross it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, uh, so they, like I said, that's why this place is in ruins. And it is also kind of the famous last stand of the elves. So the elves had retreated significantly. And Geralt tells a little bit of this story, but there's some other important elements here. So there's this giant statue of this elf who led their last stand here called Aelorin. And what is really important about Aelorin's stand is that after the elves had kind of retreated up into the mountains and the caves, she was able to convince a group of them to come down and fight the humans again. And it was mostly young men, but most importantly, uh, I mean, there were uh, female elves, there were older elves, but it was all of the young men of the elves who came down with Aelorin, and they all died at Sherawet. And elves can only produce, the men can only produce when they're young, and so all of the men of reproducing age died in the battle with Aelorin. And that was what ended the elves' ability to produce elves. They they could produce half-elves with humans, but they could no longer make elves. Okay, this is that event. This is that event, yeah. Oh, man. They had lost a lot of elves before this, but this is where they lost the final. All, of the, all of the reproducing elves that they had, yeah. Do you think that rap. the uh, elves thought of humans like we think of bunnies in Australia? Yes, very much. They're like, how? how? It's only been 200 years. Yes, they lived for a really long time, so it's like a month for them. Yes, <laughs> So they set up their little trap here. Reince comes, which they're expecting because they know Reince is after Cirilla. The elves come, which they're not prepared for. Um, and uh, the dwarves... Uh, help Geralt fighting them off. Uh, Francesca's oh, brother dies. Also, key point here. Key point to me, not actually like a key key point. Yaskir is helping out the dwarves. And so when he helps them out, he actually protects a few of them. So he earns some, some respect from the dwarves. And some dwarf points. Yeah, some dwarf points, which are like half the size of human points. They're worth more, but they're half the size. Reince escapes but Geralt does see where his fortress is while he's trying to hunt him and then in the end they decide they will split up Yennefer needs the help of the teachers at Eratusa to teach Cirilla and Geralt wants to hunt down Reince um, and so he doesn't want to bring Cirilla with him so they go their separate ways but once again remember the Brotherhood runs both Banard and Eratusa and they're I guess the, their their overt plan is let's just kill Cirilla, get rid of that problem. No. We know they've all got their secret plans, but that's their open expression. So that is uh, where it ends. So I think it's an interesting point. Geralt talks about uh, the battle at Sherwood and Aelorin, but what he mentions is, you know, you make a, a bold last stand and he builds you a statue, he says, but if you're neutral and you survive, no one does that for you, you know, and he's just kind of pointing out this silliness of people to celebrate these terrible decisions and events rather than celebrating people who made good decisions and lived long, unhappy lives. Yeah. You know, that there's this, this inconsistency there. But so as Geralt tells the story of Aelorin and Sherwood, 
he either doesn't know or doesn't mention this is the end of the elves' ability to have pure children. And so I think, you know, it's very possible Netflix made that choice to leave that out. And so my question is to you, do you think that was a good idea or bad? Or maybe why or why not leave that out? Because for me, that is why this import this story is so important. This this is this is not just another battle. This is not just another piece of the war between elves and humans. This is a pivotal point that changes the future of an entire race. This is the beginning of the end for pure elves. It's the beginning of the end for pure elves. Yeah. And that piece of the story is left out in Geralt's telling. So again, do you think that was good idea, bad idea, or you know, or maybe why? Maybe they're planning to save it for mm-hmm. later or something. All right. So my answer, I will tell you in the treasure room, 